Well, good morning. It's good to have each of you with us. Good to have our guests with us today. We're delighted you could be with us as we spend a few moments looking in God's Word as we think about some things that the Bible teaches. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Matthew, in <clears throat> chapter 13 this morning. Matthew chapter 13, and we encourage you to get your Bibles, your phones, whatever you use, to turn over there in just a moment, and we are delighted to be together. It's always good to be together on Sunday. Sunday around here is the best day of the week. Our schedules are just a little bit different. We get to be together, and it just seems like everything is just right when we come together to honor our God and praise Him and to look at some things together. The great singer Louis Armstrong <clears throat> sang this song, What a Wonderful World. And the lyrics say, I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for you and me, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue and clouds of white, the bright blessed days, dark sacred nights. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The colors of the rainbow, so pretty in the sky, are also on the faces of people going by. I see friends shaking hands, saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I love you. I hear babies cry. I watch them grow. They'll learn so much that I'll never knew. I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Yes, I think to myself, what a wonderful world. And as he wrote that song and sang that, we think about the springtime, we think about the beauty of things, and we think this is a good world. As we just sang, uh, this world is not my home. But then there's another song we sing, this is my father's world. And as beautiful as that song is, then we turn on the news and we hear about shootings in our community yet again. And we hear about crime. And we hear about trouble, and we think, how does all this fit in this beautiful world? Those very essence are some reasons why people wonder if there really is a God. If there is a God, why are these things happening to us? And when we go to the book of Matthew in chapter 13, Jesus shows us a picture of what the world looks like. And it's an interesting study because what it is, it takes us to one of the parables of Jesus. Parables of Jesus is something that really helps us to understand things and to understand what was started and what should be finished as our theme is this year and to think about the concept of how important it is to see what God wants us to see. In Matthew 13, there are over 15 parables that Jesus says. And the word parable itself simply means lay beside something else. It is to take something that you already know and then you lay it beside something you don't know. And when you look at what you know, then you look over here, what I don't know, I see a comparison. And that's all it is. It is a comparison. You do comparisons all the time. When you go out car shopping, you look in this car, you look at this car, you look at this, you look at this. When you go looking for a house, you look at this house, you look at this house, you are comparing. When you go to the grocery store, you just don't pick up the produce, you pick it up, you look at it, I see people smelling them. I saw one guy one time licking it, I thought, ew, <laughs> that's just a little, a little off my charts there. But what we do is we compare things. And so what we're reading here in Matthew 13 are a series of parables. And what Jesus does is he begins with what the audience understood. He begins with the agricultural world. He begins with three parables that deal with planting and seeds. Seeds have life in them. Seeds have growth. Seeds are, are the future. And so he begins in Matthew 13 by talking about the parable of the sower. He then will go later, at, later on in the chapter talk about the parable of the mustard seed. 
But in between is the parable of the tares or the parable of weeds. And that's what we're going to look at today. Now, we begin, first of all, by asking, why did Jesus use parables? His very disciples asked that very question there. And we'll read that in just a moment. One of the reasons he did that is because it's easy to remember a story. You may not remember all the principles. You may not get all the components of everything that's been talked about, but you understand the story. The story of the prodigal son comes so vivid to us. The story of the sower is sowed to sea on different kinds of ground. We understand that concept. He also did this to hide the truth from those who simply were not interested in him. In Matthew 13, let's begin, if you will, in verse 10. Matthew 13, verse 10, his disciples asked this very question. Jesus was not the first one to introduce parables. There are parables in the Old Testament. There are parables in other literature. But in Matthew 13, verse 10, the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, To you has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been granted. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore, verse 13, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in, the, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, They will keep on hearing, but they will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear. They've closed their eyes that they should see with their eyes, and they hear with their ears and understand with their heart, and turn again, and I should heal them. Blessed are your eyes because they see, and your hearts because they hear. Why did he teach parables? Because some people just didn't care. I don't care about Jesus. I don't care about truth. I don't care. And so he'd tell them these things, and they simply would hear a story, and they wouldn't understand it. It also was to fulfill prophecy. In the book of Psalms, in chapter 78, verse 2, it says, I will open my mouth in a parable, and I will utter dark sayings of old. But more than anything else, as we just read there in Matthew 13, it was to pull the curtain back on those who believe and show them insights into the kingdom so they would understand this concept of the kingdom. And so today we're going to focus on Matthew 13 and verses 24 through 30, what we call the parable of the tares. Let me read this to you, and then we'll start talking about what he says. And very interesting, this is one of the few parables that later in the chapter Jesus explains. I'm glad he explains it, because had he not done this, we may not fully understood what he said. But beginning here in Matthew 13 and in verse 24, he presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to, stop right there. That's what a parable is. It is to compare something. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprang up and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. And the slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. And the slaves said to him, Do you want us to then go and gather them up? He said, No, lest while you're gathering up the tares, you uproot the wheat with them. Allow them both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but, the, but gather the wheat into my barn. And so here's the farmer. His intention is to grow wheat. 
Now, while his men are sleeping at night, the enemy comes. And the enemy is not doing this by accident. Oh, I thought this was my field, and, and, and really my field's over here, and I accidentally sowed my seed in your field. No, this was done on purpose. This was done to hurt somebody. This was done intentionally. This is so common that the Romans had a law against this, about sowing weed in someone else's field. Now, what happens is when, when the wheat and the tares, and most commentaries believe that the tares is what's called a darnel, when they first come up, they look very, very similar. It's hard to tell them apart. But later on, as the wheat puts on this golden head, it rises above the weed, and then you can tell the difference. And that's what we see here. And so we see this enemy has come in here, and what the master says is, let him be there, and at the harvest time, we're going to settle all this out, and at the harvest, this will be decided. Now, as we go on to the explanation, verse 36 now, let's read this, and then we'll notice some simple things Jesus says here. In verse 36, then he left the multitudes and went into the house. His disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. I'm so glad they said that. So glad. You know, sometimes we're embarrassed to ask a question. I just didn't get that, teacher. But here they ask Jesus. They want to know. He answered them and said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. And so he starts identifying this part. And so the farmer is Jesus. The Son of Man. Thirty times in the book of Matthew alone, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. He's referring to himself here. Jesus is the Son of Man. Jesus is the farmer who sowed this seed. He says in verse 38, And the field is the world, and as of the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. The good seed. Now, now there's a difference here. If you read the first parable of Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, the sower went out to throw the seed out. The seed is the word of God. Here, it's not the word of God. Here, the seed is the sons of the kingdom. It's you and me. It's those who follow Jesus. That's what he's describing here. He then says, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. I'll put those up here in just a minute. The enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the ages, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so it shall be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out his kingdom, all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire in that place. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears, let him hear. And so the enemy is the devil. And the devil is busy. And he sows the tares. The tares, or the weed, or the darnel, is the sons of the evil one. Sons who are committed to doing what is wrong. Those who eventually crucified Jesus. Those who have their hearts set against God. The field, he tells us, is the world. It's not the church. It's the world. Look down at verse 41 once again of our context. The Son of Man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom. So many times when we see the word kingdom, we think it's always the church. God is in charge of the entire world. He's describing the world here. And again, he's telling us what the world looks like. The harvest is at the end of the ages and the harvesters are the angels. And so that's kind of the components. And that kind of shows us what's taking place here. And so, at the end of the harvest, when the wheat is obvious what it is, 
then they're going to be harvested off. The tares or the weeds are going to be thrown away and they will be burned. Talking about a coming judgment. Four simple lessons for you. Number one, the devil is actively trying to hurt what God is doing. Once again, I want to illustrate this to you and emphasize this. The, the devil here, the enemy, did this on purpose. The enemy did not get confused. He did not think, well, excuse me, I thought this was my field. He knew the field was there. He knew the Son of Man has sowed good seed there. So now he's trying to hurt what the Son of Man had done. And again, how powerful it is to see this. In your Bibles, turn with me to the last book, the book of Revelation in chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. The chapter begins with the devil trying to hurt the child that is born, and that is Jesus. And it ends with a war against God's people. Revelation 12, verse 17. And the dragon, which earlier in this chapter is described as the devil, verse 9. The, and the dragon, verse 17, was enraged with a woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. The devil is actively trying to hurt what God has done. The devil's trying to destroy what is good in your family. The devil's trying to destroy what is good in this church. The devil is sowing seed, and that's the activity we see. And so we're reminded throughout our Bible passages like 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Where Peter tells us, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Your good name, your good reputation is under attack by the devil. And so it behooves us to understand right and wrong. Hebrews chapter 5 talks about the mature in Christ whose solid food is for because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. When those two plants first grow up, the wheat and the tares, they look the same. And the devil's putting things out there today that looks like truth. It looks right. It looks good. And the interesting thing about that darnel, that tear, it's poisonous. And if you didn't know the difference and you harvested with your, with your wheat and you made bread out of it or you made something else out of it, the person who ate it would get sick, sometimes so violently sick that they would die. And again, that's what the devil's after. The psalmist asked this question, Psalms 119, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Now turn with me if you will to the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at Ephesians 4, Ephesians 5, and Ephesians 6. Three passages side by side there that help us, again, understand that the devil is actively trying to hurt what is good. Ephesians chapter 4 now. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the major statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children. Tossed about here and there by the ways, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. We need to be able to understand the difference between the wheat and the tare. 
Chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 16. Verse 15 says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's dispatient, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Chapter 6 now of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil, sowing weed among the wheat. That's what he was doing. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against powers, against the world forces in this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you'll be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, having girded your loins with truth, having put on a breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. You see that? And so, who does the lion catch? You've seen those nature shows. Who does the lion catch? Well, the lion is going to catch one who's not paying attention. The lion is going to catch one who is foolish. The lion is going to catch one who is careless. The lion is going to catch one who is weak. The lion is going to catch one who is indifferent. The lion is going to catch one who's not staying close to the flock. The lion is going to catch one who's not following the shepherd. So what we have here in this parable, as Jesus is paying for us the picture of the world, he's letting us know that God allows the wheat and the weeds to grow together. That's our world. Our world has evil in it. When, when we read the first page of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1, the, the major word over and over is good. All is good. We look in our world today, not all is good today. There are wicked in the world today. There are hurtful people in the world today. There are fools in the world today. There are some who just are not good people. And Jesus is saying they are working for the enemy. And God allows these two to grow together. Now, I don't know how you are. Most of you know that I am a yard fanatic. If one dandelion comes up in my yard, it's nuked, it's prayed about, it's destroyed, it is obliviated. I do not allow weeds to grow in my yard. I'm, I'm, I'm a fanatic about those things. Okay, we like a weed-free yard. We like our gardens free of weeds. We like beautiful things. But here, as Jesus has shown you what the world is, the world is a mixture. There's going to be weeds among the kingdom of God. There's going to be weeds within God's people. And these are things that he shows us. And again, how important it is for us to grasp what is involved with this. The prophet Isaiah would put it this way. He says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight, 
Woe to those who heroes are in drinking wine and valiant men and mixing strong drink, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. Again, the concept of the weeds or the tares among the wheat. And so what we see in this point here, because we're mixed together in this world we live in, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, we have to be able to discern right from wrong. There are people I do not need to have in my life. There are influences I do not need to pay attention to yet follow. There are things in my life that's not going to bring me closer to Jesus. Our Lord said it this way. He says, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them. You see that? Well, I can't tell the difference between the, the tare and the wheat. You will know them, Jesus says, by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered by thorn bushes nor figs from thistles. Are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them. He says that two times. You will know them. You will be able to recognize a tear from the wheat. How? They look the same by what they're doing, by what they're saying. By their attitudes. In the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul put it this way. He says, No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. That's the tear. It looks like a wheat at the very beginning, whose end will be according to their deeds. And so God recognizes, we need to recognize, and we need to see the influences in our life. Be it a person, be it a book, be it a movie, be it some music, that what I'm pouring into my life is going to help me in my walk with Jesus Christ. Third point we see here, God is aware of what the enemy was doing. The master was not shocked. He was not surprised. He didn't run around pulling his hair saying, who did this? Immediately he knew it was the enemy. And God has a plan. And God tells his plan. Even though Satan is busy today, God has a plan. And so he doesn't isolate us. He doesn't say all the wheat's going to be over here and those are all the folks going to heaven and we're going to have a big ocean here and then here's all the people not going to heaven and they'll never mix. No, he didn't say that. They're going to be mixed. They're going to be mixed. But God recognizes. And it's important that the wheat does not become a tear. In the book of Romans in chapter 12, there the apostle says not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then finally, very simply, God wins. That's how this parable ends. It ends by the wheat being gathered up, taken to the barn, taken to heaven. It, it ends by the tares, the weed being gathered up, and it's burned. The judgment he's describing there. In the end, the Lord will take care of this. And so the presence of the tares did not destroy the wheat. The devil did not win. The devil will not cripple God's kingdom. In the prophecy in the book of Daniel, in the days of the, these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. Put the bad seed in it, God's kingdom still wins. The devil with his best plans, the tares along with the devil will be cast into the fire forever. In the book of Revelation chapter 20, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. Where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever.
So what's our world look like? It looks like a mess, doesn't it? It looks like a mess. And how some people would really like to have heaven on earth. I just wish that all was was good people here. I just wish everything that put out was right. That no one ever told a lie. Never, no one ever did anything wrong. That world is called heaven. And as Jesus is describing this to his apostles, he's letting them know that the world you're going to go into and preach my gospel is a world that has weed in it. Satan is active in this world. There'll be those who oppose you. There'll be those who try to stop you. There'll be those who'll be against you. And yet, when it's all over, God knows this. And God's in charge. And God will be, take care of these things. You know, we uh, sing to the children this little song, Be careful, little hands, what you do. And be careful, little eyes, what you see. And be careful, little ears, what you hear. And be careful, little tongue, what you say. And the chorus, of course, is our Father up above looks down in love, so be careful, little eyes, what you see. I wonder if we all make that one of our Sunday morning songs and change the words to be careful, big eyes, what you see. Be careful, big ears, what you hear. Be careful, big tongues, what you say. Be careful, big feet, where you go. Because in this world we live in, it's so easy just to go along with the culture and do what everyone else is doing and to see the difference that God wants us to have. Get your Bible. Turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 14. There was a senior in high school, and he was getting ready to graduate. And he asked his grandfather, he's talking to his grandfather, and grandfather asked him, what are you going to do after you graduate? He said, well, I'm going to go to college. Grandfather said, then what? Well, I'm going to go to law school. Grandfather said, then what? Well, I'm going to graduate from law school. Well, then what? Well, I'm going to get a job, and I'm going to work real hard. I'm going to have cases, and I'm going to just work, 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 work. Grandfather said, well, then what? Well, I'm going to work my way up, work night and day, till I can become a partner in a big law firm. Grandfather said, then what? Well, I'm going to keep working and working until I become a senior partner in an amazing law firm. Grandfather said, then what? Well, I'll probably buy me another house. And I'll probably vacation overseas. And grandfather said, well, then what? Well, I'm going to build my portfolio. Well, then what? Well, then I'm going to retire. Well, then what? I'm going to golf every day. Well, then what? By then, he's starting to run out of ideas. Well, I guess I'll die. And the grandfather said, and then what? And the young man just looked down because he had nothing. Last Friday, we had the funeral for Betty Chastain. She was buried on her birthday. She would have been 93. This Friday, we're going to have the funeral for Billy Dewhurst. Billy is 93. Both of them were baptized in 1944. Both of them had been Christians for 79 years. You think about that. 79 years. How many times had those two sisters taken the Lord's Supper? How many hymns have they sung in their life? How many sermons had they listened to? How many Bible classes have they sat through? How many classes have they taught? 
The number of good that they have done through the generations is just in, enormous. Both Betty and Billy were amazing, amazing Christians. And one of the things that really stands out to me about them is they stayed with it. They stayed with it. It's real easy to start a book and say, you know what? Eh, I'm done with this book. Start a movie, I'm done with this movie. I don't even finish it. I start this project, I never got done to finish that project. I start this, never finish that. Start school, never finish school. Start this, start this. There are two ladies, not one, but two of this congregation who stayed with it. And they stayed with it. And they stayed with it. They were baptized when there was a major world war going on in this country. A lot of the congregations were emptied of men because the men were overseas fighting. A lot of those men never came back home because they died. Yet they stayed with it. They went through the glory times of the 50s and the 60s. Good times of our country. They went through political ups and downs of our country. Corruption and all kinds of things has been going on. And they stayed with it. And they stayed with it. And they stayed with it until God finally called them home. What then? What then is Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13. Revelation 14 verse 13. And here in the amazing words of our Lord, he says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest for their labors and their deeds follow with them. Those of us that are Christians, can you imagine putting six, seven decades into what you're doing in Jesus? Some of us, it's a struggle every Sunday whether I'm going to come or not. Can you imagine the ups and downs? Babies born, husbands, death, death of parents, all those things that we call life. And one constant is Jesus. I'm staying with Jesus. What then? My goal is going to heaven. And so the world we live in from this parable is troublesome. It is. And Jesus tells us this. And it shouldn't shock us. You know, when people say, well, if God is good and God is powerful, why doesn't God just take care of all that? Because, in the words of our Lord, there are tares in the field. The enemy is active. The enemy is not going to be destroyed to the very end. And so long as there's life here, the enemy is going to be sowing bad seed to hurt the things of God. That's why. And so that's why there's going to be crime. And that's why, sadly, there'll be more shootings. And that's why there'll be more heartache. And that's why there'll be more trouble. Because the devil is active today. But among the people of God, we know the answer. Among the people of God, we have living examples among us of staying faithful to God to the very end. This morning, if you're not a Christian, you need to become one. You need to see how important it is. The devil's trying to pull you over to his side, and he wants to keep you there. And if you are a child of God, the devil's trying to get you. He wants you because what you're doing is right. He'll attack your family. He'll attack your faith. He'll attack this church. He'll do anything he can to pull you away because there are tares in the field. But we know, we know of a Billy. We do. And we know of a Betty. And they have shown us, among us, that you can stay with it. And you can stay with it. And you can stay with it. And what comes after that is your home in God.
That's what this is all about. We can help you once you come as we stand, as we sing.